The Truth News Network. The White House Press Corps acting like the Washington version of Romper Room. A president who's neither present nor accounted for as the Middle East prepares for Armageddon and we're kept in the dark and fed... Well, we're all mushrooms today, but there is a source of truth. It's right here at TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Isn't it interesting to watch what's going on and put it in a time space and try to reconcile, you know, this is happening now. Is there a specific reason why it happens right now? All things governmental. Listen to this. All things governmental are happening purposefully at specific times for specific purposes. Now, I'm not trying to get you out there with something too deep to understand, especially to start the day off, but it's something we need to understand. Very seldom is it okay or smart for us to just take what we hear at face value. We do that, especially coming out of this administration. Oh my gosh, are we going to be in trouble? Now, speaking in trouble, today's show is full of trouble, trouble, trouble for some folks. We're going to break it down for you piece at a time and help you understand a few things that are kind of mystical sometimes. You know, not knowing something doesn't mean you're stupid. What makes you stupid if you know something... You know about it anyway, and it's important, and you don't go find out what's going on. We're not stupid, are we? So we're going to do all that and more today. First, how about a little old Steely Dan from the 70s to start us off? Special place for love. 
good morning if you're just joining us now. If you missed the very top, top, top of the, of the show today, we've got a lot of things to get into today about our government, things happening around the world, and how they all are coming together to integrate into something that looks like maybe, just maybe, what we're living through right now is coordinated. Well, at least in part. Now, if that was true, who would be the person or persons that would be doing all of the crazy things that must go into coordinating a lot of world things? Well, let me just tell you this. Right now, I'm going to make it very clear. I think the United Nations needs to go. There's no question about it. They work on different agendas from us here in the United States and most of our leaders. They're out there doing their own thing, and it's got to be for this in view. It's got to be this. They want to help and be the principal of forming a government for the entire world not just going into countries and helping them with their various little problems, but going into countries and telling everybody in every country, here's what you must do and here's what you can't do. Every few days, something else pops up that proves the United Nations is not doing anything for the betterment of the United States. So why do we have them sitting on probably the most expensive piece of real estate in Manhattan? Southern end of Manhattan on the southeast side. Big building, lots of uh, ancillary structures around it. Now, I know the United Nations paid for that. They didn't get it free, but we gave them a whole lot of things, a whole lot of money to put that operation there and to keep it going. So, number one, we could save a lot of money. Number two, I can't imagine how much that building in Manhattan would sell for. But what's more important, we would be sending the world a message saying the United States is, really is, a sovereign country. We're not going to bow to any other country or any other entity. Our government was established to be and will be perpetually government of, government by, and government for the people, not for people outside of the United States. We govern ourselves. And dadgummit, we're going to get back to doing that. Now, if we need to kick these people out of the country, which I'm certain we do, they will never tell us how much money we really spend supporting the United Nations and their various agencies. Of course, everybody heard about the agency that uh, we have been paying for, paying for, terrorist and terrorism. We actually paid millions of dollars to that agency that's part of the United Nations that members of that agency actually participated in the slaughter in October of 1,200 Israeli people while they were sleeping. When Donald Trump found out about this agency, he cut their funding completely off to zero. You know how much money Joe Biden has paid them? A billion dollars. He put them back in there. So you do the roundabout. The roundabout is 
Joe Biden paid the United Nations in this agency directly, and they used that money to go slaughter Israelis. And Israelis are our number one ally in that part of the world. How do you make that work? How do you reconcile that? Well, you can't. All that being said, we can't spend too much time talking about the issues of countries over over there. We got plenty here we've got to deal with. I'm sure you heard late last night, the House of Representatives, they voted to advance to the House floor articles of impeachment for Alejandro Mayorkas. There's so many moving parts. All 18 of these Republican members of the House Committee on Homeland Security, they voted after more than 14 hours of often impassioned debate to refer two articles of impeachment against Mayorkas to the full House for a final vote as the panel's 15 Democrats obviously unanimously opposed doing so. So who better to come tell us exactly what's going on and what's next and all of the moving parts than um, Mike Johnson. Speaker Mike Johnson. He stepped forward to give us the skinny. Here's Mike. There is an inescapable fact that all the American people know, everybody, it doesn't matter what political party you're in. Joe Biden and his administration have created a catastrophe on the border. Everybody knows it. The American people are demanding that we do something about it. We're trying. As you all well know, many months ago, the House Republican majority passed H.R. 2. That's our, our Secure the Border Act, which has all the necessary provisions to get this catastrophe under control. Why did we pass the legislation? We passed it because the president has refused to use his executive authority to reverse the catastrophe that he used his executive authority to create. That's the fact. We're desperate to try to get this done. We've been trying for nine months longer to reverse the damage that they've done. The president has refused to act. It's been noted this morning, today, the Homeland Security Committee will take the next necessary step that's available to us, marking up and passing articles of impeachment for Secretary Mayorkas. He has presided over and helped usher in the largest illegal immigration catastrophe in our nation's history. It's not even close. Again, This is a self-evident truth that everyone knows. He has willfully undermined America's laws. He's made false statements to Congress and the American people. He made false statements to me personally in the Judiciary Committee many months ago. And he has handicapped law enforcement. Just last week, we received word that more than 302,000 illegal immigrants crossed our border in December alone. 302,000 in one month. It continues. But, you know, that barely made headlines. Why? Because that's the new normal under Secretary Mayorkas' lack of leadership. And it is the result of a collection of deliberate policy choices by the Secretary and this administration. In fact, we've documented over 64 specific actions that the President and his administration have taken to undermine America's border security, starting within hours of President Biden's inauguration. Normally, presidents, as you know, use their first few days in office to set the tone for their entire term. He did that. On his first day, President Biden effectively dissolved our borders. And Secretary Mayorkas rolled out a welcome map to millions and millions of illegal immigrants. And that's what we've seen for the past three years. It was just four months into his term as the secretary 
of the Department of Homeland Security. Mr. Mayorkas appeared before us and the Judiciary Committee, and I told him on that day in a, in a clip that many people have seen that he needed to prepare his resume because it became immediately apparent to us that he was not doing his job. In fact, he was undermining the very system that he was supposed to administer. Now, now the president, this is laughable, the president is trying to switch, you know, flip the script. He wants to try to blame House Republicans in some way for the national security and humanitarian catastrophes that he caused. I, I, I can't make a full judgment on the national security supplemental as the full details have not yet been released, but based on the news reports of this agreement that have been leaked, that Secretary Mayorkas, by the way, helped negotiate, it seems the new authority to shut down the border would kick in only after as many as 5,000 illegal crossings uh, happen each day. Why? Why would we do that? Illegal immigration is illegal. It is against the law. Why would you tolerate 5,000 a day before you sought to, to uh, suddenly enforce the law? That would be surrender. The goal should be zero illegal crossings a day, not 5,000. And all the president's authority should be utilized at zero. You, many of you may know about um, this letter that we received, an alarming letter, dated uh, January 17th, uh, by former executives of the FBI, and, and this has been circulating. It's addressed to, to me and to uh, Chuck Schumer in the Senate and to our committees of jurisdiction, the chairs of uh, Intel, uh, Homeland Security, and, and uh, Foreign Affairs, uh, and uh, Homeland Security and Government Affairs in the Senate. And it, it, it begins, dear Mr. Speaker and Chairman Leaders, as former senior executives of the Federal Bureau of Investigation with deep experience combating dangers to the nation, we write to express our concern about a current specific threat that may be one of the most pernicious ever to menace the United States. This is a long letter, but I want to read you a couple of excerpts. The threat we call out today is new and unfamiliar. In its modern history, the U.S. has never suffered an invasion of the homeland and yet, one is unfolding now. Military-aged men from across the globe, many from countries or regions not friendly to the United States, are landing in waves on our soil by the thousands, not by splashing ashore from a ship or parachuting from a plane, but rather by foot across a border that has been accurately advertised around the world as largely unprotected with ready access granted. It would be difficult to overstate the danger represented by the presence inside our borders of what is comparatively a multi-division army of young single adult males from hostile nations and regions whose background intent and or allegiance is completely unknown. They include individuals encountered by border officials and then possibly released into the country, along with a shockingly high estimate of gotaways, meaning those who have entered and evaded apprehension. I'll read you just a few more lines. The country possesses dramatically diminished national security at this time because of this invasion, as our former FBI and Intel officials say. They said, we would be remiss not to call out this potentially grave threat in most direct terms. The warning lights are blinking. Any violation of the nation's immigration laws increases risk, but the surge in numbers of single military-aged males descending upon American cities and towns is alarming and perilous. Additionally, they are not from terror-linked regions. They are not just from terror-linked regions, sorry, but from China and Russia as well. Hostile adversaries of the U.S. with aspirations to devastate national infrastructure. Last line, I'll, I'll, I'll quote them. The country has been invaded, 
an invasion that will continue as long as the nation's enemies perceive it will be tolerated. And it's signed by all these former officials of the FBI and, and uh, intelligence. Listen, this is not a game. We took 64 House Republicans down to Eagle Pass, to the epicenter, the Del Rio sector, in South Texas, uh, January 3rd. And we talked to the border officials there. We talked to the sheriffs who were given the impossible task of trying to patrol these areas that they have jurisdiction over. We, we talked to the state officials in Texas, and, and what they told us there is that at the Del Rio sector, by way of example, 60 to 70 percent of the people that cross there are single adult males within, with, within these ages, maybe 18 to 40. We saw this with our own two eyes. We talked to the people on the ground. We have an unmitigated crisis. The president can take executive authority immediately, and he's pretending as though he does not know that. It's, it's outrageous. The American people are demanding action. We are going to deliver it in every way we possibly can, and we'll continue uh, on that course. I'd be happy to take the- That's House Speaker Mike Johnson last night after the um, committee in the House voted, and after this speech here late last night, they passed that. Now, what does it mean? It just passed out of the committee. Now it's going to hopefully go to the full House to be considered. But let's get into the politics before that can happen. The House Rules Committee, that's led by Chairman Tom Cole, Republican of Oklahoma, must adopt a rule for how these articles, these two articles of impeachment, will be considered for that vote, including whether to allow amendments from the floor. Now, a little more housekeeping. When the measures does reach the House floor for a final vote, remember this. There are 14 Democrats, 14 Democrats, who may face a tough decision on how they're going to vote regarding Mayorkas' future. Why is that? because each of the 14 voted in favor of House Resolution 957 back on January 17th. That resolution was approved by the full House on a 225 to 187 vote with 21 members not voting. 12 of the 21 not voting were Democrats, 9 were Republicans. The resolution put the House on record in denouncing the Biden administration's open border policies condemning the national security and public safety crisis that Joe Biden, Border Czar, Vice President Kamala Harris, Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, and other Biden administration officials, they've created along the southwest border and urging President Biden to end his administration's open border policies. Now, I could give you all the names of those people. I won't do that. The point is... There's one little stop which will be fundamental. It's no big deal. But this will go to the full House in the upcoming days, and there will be an impeachment proceeding formally filed, and they'll begin to work on it, and it shouldn't take too long. As you just heard the House Speaker say, it's pretty cut and dried. The guy messed us up and put us in this horror show that we're living through every day. I, I Honestly, I can't understand why Mayorkas does what he does. He knows. He swore an oath to the office. He swore an oath, and he said he was going to follow the Constitution and the rule of law. He's an attorney. He knows that. 
But he turned his back on that on day one and has just whipped it to pieces now for three years plus. How can this government allow somebody to do that? It should not happen. And the fact that it is happening with impunity, that should wake each of us up and make us realize this country is on the verge of being run. Not totalitarianism running us yet, but authoritarianism, that's exactly what we're living in right now. When a guy in the White House can call all the shots and disregard laws, disregard findings that come out of the U.S. Supreme Court, telling the President of the United States, you have no authority to do that, and he comes back and laughs at it, and he's trying to do it again. And I'm talking about relieving college debts. No president has that authority under the Constitution or any laws in the land. But yet Joe Biden, he doesn't care. That, my friends, is authoritarian rule. Now let's switch for a minute. We haven't even talked about the election system, what's coming up in the latest status. You know, the next big stop in the pre-stuff before the election, primaries, caucuses, all that, is South Carolina. Now that's Nikki Haley, who's the only Republican left in the batch with former President Donald Trump running for the 2024 presidential election. That's her home state. She grew up there. She was governor there. They know all about her. She knows all about them. But listen to this. Donald Trump has a little bitty lead over Nikki Haley down in her home state. Just little. 35 points. This poll was published yesterday by The Messenger. It shows that Trump is garnering 66% of support among likely South Carolina Republican primary voters, and he more than doubles Haley's 31%. That's just among Republicans. Now, let's break it down. His support is made up by 59% of those who responded who are definitely voting for him. 6% who probably will. Conversely, an even percent of poll participants say they will probably support Haley, 24% definitely. Another 4% are undecided. So when voters learn that former Representative Liz Cheney, who co-chaired the House January 6th committee, you remember that, endorsed Haley, Her support drops to 29%, while Trump's remains the same. Moreover, the share of voters who would definitely vote for Haley dropped from 24% to 21%. Now, what does this all boil down to? Will it gauge the influence of an anti-Trump ad from the Haley campaign that's running all across South Carolina? Has been for a week or so. Where a narrator dubs, Biden too old, and asserts Trump is too much chaos. Among those that were part of the survey who had seen the ad, 64% said they would back the 45th president, 33% Haley. Statistically, this margin's not different from the overall ballot indicating this ad had no bearing on who South Carolina 
Republican primary voters plan to vote for. What is more, the poll found over two in three of all respondents approved of Haley's performance as governor. But among those who gave her positive marks, Trump still leads 56 to 40 percent. Despite her positive job approval and millions in attack ads that are being spent against President Trump, Republican primary voters in South Carolina, they're still unswayed by Haley's weak attempts to change her minds. South Carolina solidly remains Trump country. I don't understand that. When I saw this early this morning, I thought, oh my God, I thought it would be at least closer than what it looked like and what the Trump folks have been telling us it looked like. But I guess I'm wrong. And so don't try to tell me that you didn't ask this question that I asked. I wonder what the South Carolinians know about Nikki Haley that we don't know about. Because all I've ever heard is she did such a great job in South Carolina. The people there love her. If you listen to her talk, it's like, those are my peeps. They know me and I know them and they know all the good that we did. And I came up with this answer. And it's not an absolute. But I put two and two together and almost every time I get four. And when I get four in this thing, there are some things that Nikki Haley did when she was in office there and after she left office that the people of South Carolina don't care about. In fact, for this massive drop in her support across her state to happen, it's a certainty that there's something up there that we don't yet know about. Thought I'd bring you that latest election stuff. We're not going to delve on that. You just heard it from top to bottom. But what we do have is some news about several members of Congress that are in what we used to call at my house, deep (laughs) doo-doo. Who are they? Uh, You start thinking about it. I've got it right after this. Hey, what do you want to da da da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da da da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Mm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these dolls. I know. Like, is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. Oh, no. I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh, no. No. These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to die or any die. Quote to die at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. When you choose a great-tasting Miller Lite, you're choosing on taste. And that's the right choice, not the wrong choice. Because right is way better than wrong. You don't try to do the wrong thing. Wrong on, brother? Back off, and I don't even know you. If someone asks you if everything's all wrong, ask them to pull your finger. Ever read the Bill of Wrongs? It was written by James Baddison and John Saddams. Drawing a wrong triangle? Place this protractor at 90 degrees and sit on it. What's wrong around the corner? An 8-foot ex-con named Tiny, and he wants your wallet. That's wrong up your alley, just like the drifter feeding moldy muffin stumps to his 13 hairless cats. Got a wrong hand man? I've got a cousin named Randall with clammy hands. The customer's always wrong? Well, that explains the waiter's creepy grin as I ate my toast. Two wrongs do make a wrong. Am I wrong? Wrong. So don't make the wrong choice. Make the right choice and choose on taste. Triple Hops Brewed Miller Lite. Taste greatness. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Great beer, great responsibility. Yo. 
Some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense. If I told you that there are two or three or maybe four members of the U.S. Congress that are in trouble, and when I say trouble, real trouble, actually getting in maybe legal trouble, maybe recall trouble, who would you say that would probably be? Let's just say two, two of them. Well, if you're a conservative, probably the first name that would come up that would be in that category would be AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in New York. Why? Not because she does a bunch of bad things. She's gotten slapped on the back of the hand a couple of times for some things she's done. But she hadn't done anything like this one specific member of Congress has. The Department of Justice is conducting a criminal probe into Missouri Representative Cory Bush. In fact, yesterday, the DOJ subpoenaed the House of Representatives for documents that belong to Cory Bush. So what's going on? Well, the DOJ is reportedly conducting a criminal probe of her and she's repeatedly pushed to defund the cops after spending taxpayer money on private security for herself. For herself. I've got deep de- details, but listen to this story that came out last night. Liberal squad member Cory Bush now under federal investigation over alleged misuse of campaign funds. The Missouri Congresswoman reportedly spent over $756,000 on security services since the 2018 election cycle, a luxury that she has long defended. Watch. I'm going to make sure I have security because I know I have had attempts on my life and I have too much work to do. There are too many people that need help right now for me to to allow that. So if I end up spending 200,000, if I spend 10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. So she's also accused of making hefty payments to people she has close personal relationships with, including her now husband. Courtney Merritt, the congresswoman, blames right-wing organizations for the probe. Now, you know, sometimes a lot of people get mad at me. Nobody's threatened me yet. And I would love sometimes when I go places that I'm uncomfortable going, but I have to go there. I'd like somebody to be, you know, there to kind of watch my back. You know what I'm talking about. Today, folks, there are Far too many of those kind of places we go where we're not feeling very safe anymore across the nation. That's a different story. We'll put that to the side. But Cori Bush, she kind of went over the top. Three quarters of a million dollars for her personal security. Her personal security. And obviously, 
some of the personal security money went to her boyfriend. A bunch of that went there. Now, wait a minute. Three quarters of a million dollars. Where'd that money come from? Came from her campaign funds. In other words, the people that she represents that gave her money in Missouri and anybody else that gave her money. It's their money that they gave to her to help her in her campaign so that she could go there and do stuff for her constituents, not spend three quarters of a million dollars on stuff for her. And what you want to bet, as the DOJ digs into this, they're going to find out there's more stuff and more stuff. The love of money is what? It's the root of all evil. Well, there's somebody else kind of the same age, similar jobs, not the same, but down in Georgia, Georgia Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, he's opening an investigation. He's put a committee together to look into Fonnie Willis. Who is that? That's that district attorney that is so gleefully going after former President Trump and a bunch of his compadres, several have already pled to get out of a trial down there. And you know the story about Fonnie. So the Georgia lieutenant governor said, maybe there's something underneath all this talk. So he's going to announce members of a new committee that will subpoena anybody and are looking into Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis. This committee is going to be comprised of Democrats and Republicans, six Republicans, three Democrats. And it'll look into Willis's relationship with Mr. Nathan Wade. Nathan Wade. He's the on-point specific leading the push against this Donald Trump case against him, filed by Fonnie Willis. Willis's face continued scrutiny over whether her indictment against Trump was politically motivated. And we've had this story over and over again. Let's let's don't talk about she and her lovers trips up to the Biden administration in the White House before they even filed these things against Trump and the others. Went there twice. Now, why would they coordinate with the Biden administration? I thought the alleged crimes that happened happened in Georgia, right? Well, you know what it's about. It's all coordinated. All of this stuff against Donald Trump is coordinated by the White House. Got a story in just a few minutes that will point to another nation that is doing the same thing. They probably saw what Joe Biden was doing, trying to eliminate his number one opponent in an upcoming election, even if it takes putting them in jail. So we're told about Georgia. The Georgia Senate has the right and responsibility to investigate the misuse of taxpayer resources by any and all public officials. I have full faith in the members of this investigative committee chosen this morning by the Committee on Assignments and their efforts to pursue the truth wherever it may lead. This is from the lieutenant governor who has announced he's going to take on, take on, Fonnie Willis down there. Guess what popped up yesterday? You're going to love this. A Department of Defense 
office invited two experts to discuss their new book on far-right terrorism in the United States. As part of a new series, they're going to feature guest speakers. The invitation went out through email to everybody on the staff of SO LIC. That's the acronym for the Pentagon's office overseeing special operations and irregular warfare. Bruce Hoffman, a professor at Georgetown, and he's a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, and Jacob Ware, who's a research fellow at CFR, were scheduled Tuesday to present their book, which traces right-wing domestic terrorism through U.S. history, including, of course, they have to go here, Ku Klux Klan, and groups involved in the January 6th Capitol riots seeking to reverse the 2020 election. Reminder to please join us at 12 tomorrow morning via Teams for this virtual brown bag book talk event. Renowned terrorism scholars, Dr. Bruce Hoffman, Jacob Ware. Their new book, God, Guns, and Sedition, Far-Right Terrorism in America, was released earlier this month. That's in that invitation. This is the first of what we hope will be series of brown bag events featuring internal and external speakers, it said. The reminder included a short description of the book and links to the author's biographies. Serious acts of terrorism have erupted from violent American far-right extremists in recent years, including the 2015 mass murder at a historic black church in Charleston and the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol. Those are the two. Those are the two that they say. Serious acts of Terrorism. Now, I wasn't at January 6th, nor was I at that church in Charleston back in 2015. But my friends, on January 6th, there were no terrorist acts. None. None. Not a single one. And a little white guy that has mental problems went into a black church and shot and killed some people. That's not terrorism. Terrorism is the 300 Black Lives Matter riots that were instigated, started, and ripped town, city after city, town after town apart following the George Floyd so-called murder. We found out later, yeah, much later, just last month, it wasn't a murder. And if you haven't heard about that, you need to look it up. That comes from the autopsy that had been hidden for obvious political purposes. But to name these two instances, Charleston and January 6th, as incidents of far-right domestic terrorism. Does it sound to you like all of these cries we're hearing about that fall on barren land? There's nothing to them? That's not terrorism, and it's not far-right anything. But the lead-up to these books that are going to be talked about, 
This is what's said. They are the latest flashpoints in a process that has been unfolding for decades in which vast conspiracy theories and radical ideologies like white supremacism, racism, anti-Semitism, xenophobia, and hostility to government converge into a deadly threat to what? What are they telling us every day from the left? You're going to destroy democracy. Donald Trump will destroy democracy. Meanwhile, in the White House, we have a guy that can't even sit down without falling down, and he executes executive order after executive order to do things that even the U.S. Supreme Court knocked him down and said, you can't do that. That's not your power. Has the sole authority and power of the United States Congress. And he laughed in the faces of the Supreme Court, and he doubled down and did the same thing again. That, of course, is Joe Biden. And by the way, is anti-Semitism far right? Is xenophobia far right? Hostility to government, is that far right? In other words, far right white supremacists, white, they include that in everything they write. Isn't it interesting how to make one look like we're really important, you have to come up and find a way to point fingers and throw a few examples out there that have nothing to do with the topic of what you're going to speak about and the topic of the book. There may be And no doubt about it, there have been some far-right, I won't call them terrorists, but far-right activists that have done some stupid things. No question about it. But my God, how in the world can anybody look around the landscape of the United States? It's what's happened in the last six, seven, eight years. How many of those are credibly, oh, they'll label them far-right. They'll label them that, they'll call them that, but there aren't any terrorists among them and their purposes are never, never violent. Not so much for the other side. I wonder if they're going to invite the other side to come and uh, talk to them. Just thinking, oh well. When asked about the Democrats' tactics and what they're doing. And you know they're doing all kinds of things. You know who Alex Marlowe is? Alex Marlowe is the editor-in-chief. I'm sorry. Alex Marlowe's not the editor-in-chief. He is, anyway, he's in management at Breitbart, Breitbart News. He was asked about the Democrats' tactics, what they're doing. One thing is what you just heard, going after far-right supremacists. He said this, this has been their move for a long time, and it's working for them. You can go back to the Russian collusion hoax. That originated because it was actually really Hillary Clinton had the ties to Russia, and she is part of the instigation of the Russia collusion hoax. It originated because it was actually Hillary who had the ties to Russia and where they were too deep 
So they went after Trump of being some sort of Russian plant to think about the Inflation Reduction Act, which raised inflation. Marlowe said, think about Joe Biden, who acts like it's Donald Trump dividing the country, while Joe Biden is relentlessly demonizing anybody who stands in the way, not of democracy, but his agenda, which part of is to destroy our democracy and give all the power to a small group of people, authoritarian groups, to rule the nation without voters, without Americans. And this is just the latest thing. People opposed to the democracy and don't want voters to choose the president are telling us we're the threat to democracy, especially Trump. You know, their number one agenda is to do away with the Electoral College. They think that's not democratic. I'm going to say this very succinctly for those of you who already know the answer to that. The reason they want to do it, if they get rid of the Electoral College Anybody, any Democrat that runs for national office will be able to win with only the support of eight states because the Electoral College was put together by our forefathers to stop that possibility from happening. Think about it. If you don't have members of the populace from state to state weighing in, speaking on behalf of their states about election results and who the people in their states want to elect for president and vice president every four years. What's going to happen? If it was just a pure democracy, there'd be a vote. And everybody's vote would count the same. It doesn't matter if it's from a state that has 35 million residents compared to a state that has a million or two million. Who's going to win every election? That's what they want to do. Marlowe said this, there's a long way to go until November, and if you look at the Army, the leftist building, we have huge reporting on it with something called the indivisible. We talked about it the other day, and we had a big, long story about it at truthnewsnet.org. Indivisible, it was originated out of Hillary Clinton. Every one of these active things that you see going on, that you question Democrats, and then they start talking, and everybody talks the same thing about every issue, it's a very coordinated thing. Indivisible has been together, for those of you that don't know it. It's a organization, behind-the-scenes organization, that has bazillions of dollars. They've been around for more than a decade, and what they... Their number one objective is, and all they work on, is to go after every conservative in any position in our government and those outside the government who may, if they get elected and become part of the government, may be conservative. Look at what's happening online now. Tech, big tech. They're minimizing it. Everything, any bad news about Joe Biden, why would they do that? Do you know the little bitty things that leak out that we can talk about, we see with our own eyes? Probably, if you go inside the White House and spend a day around the Oval Office or wherever Joe's going to be, you're going to see all kinds of stuff. I'll bet you, I'll bet you, and I'm just going to say bet you. I'm not going to say I'll bet you what I'm going to bet you, but I'll bet you 
when the Biden administration ends, right after it's over and we have a new president inaugurated, we're going to begin to hear the horror stories coming out of the White House by people that have worked there under Joe Biden. Just so you know this, he is known to be very nasty, very rude and crude. He's been known to curse out people that work for him for decades. He's a tyrant, and he tries to make him out to be like world's favorite grandpa. And he's anything but that. We got another cheater. Oh my gosh, another one, huh? Yeah, you're going to love who this is and what she does. It is from Harvard. Another cheater from Harvard. Harvard's chief diversity officer gets busted for plagiarism. Harvard has a complaint in hand, claiming that this woman, the chief diversity officer, has plagiarized some of her academic works, lifting large portions of text from without including quotation marks and even taking credit for a study conducted by her own husband. (laughs) It's in the family, right? The complaint reportedly cites 40 separate instances of plagiarism that span the entirety of Charleston's publication record. Charleston is her name. Sherry Ann is her first name. In her 2009 dissertation for the University of Michigan, for example, she is accused of quoting or paraphrasing nearly a dozen scholars gave no attribution to those she quoted. The complaint claims parts of Charleston's dissertation were published previously word for word by her advisor, Rebecca Scott, and others. Charleston will lift whole sentences and paragraphs from other scholars' work without quotation marks, then add a correct reference somewhere in the footnote ending the long paragraph. It's kind of interesting. One of the allegations involved Charleston's sole peer-reviewed article from 2014. It was co-authored by her husband, LeVar Charleston, who was the deputy vice chancellor for DEI at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This study, also co-authored by Gerlando Jackson, is accused of having the same methods, findings, and even interview subjects as a 2012 study written solely by LeVar Charleston, her husband. The 2014 paper appears to be entirely counterfeit. That's Peter Wood, head of the National Association of Scholars and a former associate provost at Boston University, said this is research fraud, pure and simple. Notably, these allegations against Charleston, they come after what we watched happen up in Harvard when recently ousted President Claudine Gay, who resigned over her plagiarism scandals when she was busted. These are not the only academic issues to have been exposed recently at the Ivy League school. Harvard's got some trouble. It was reported last week top cancer researchers up there have been accused of scientific fraud that affect 37 studies. 
The researchers are also accused of manipulating data images with simple methods like copy and paste and Adobe Photoshop. I mean, you would think these are the most intelligent people on the globe, we're told. Harvard University. They're brilliant. They know far more than you and I do. But I know how to copy and paste. (laughs) If that's the way we're going to roll when we need to write and present something, I can do that. And I surely would love to get the kind of money these people are up at Harvard. (laughs) How about you? Well, guess who out west is kind of uh, getting thrown to the wolves a little bit about something? Ooh, maybe the next Democrat presidential candidate, governor of California. He's in trouble. He's been exposed, and it has to do with stuff down at the southern border. He's not as bad as Mayorkas. (laughs) That's next. It's a lot to take in, but when you need a refresher, it's all here. 24-7, 365. Every podcast, every blog. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan high efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels in a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. as you know, southern border, it's not exclusive at Texas. It's pretty much all we uh, hear and talk about now. That's kind of the epicenter of the problems happening with all this illegal alien overage. I guess it is overage. Do you realize we legally allow one million immigrants into this country every year already? One million. But according to all the leftists, that's not enough. We need to have, you know, another 8 million more. Yeah, we may get there before Biden leaves office. I hope not, but we might. But there are a lot of things going on across the southern border that we're not really acquainted with, things that we don't really know about. But as we know in the Texas thing, 
National Guard, they're set to go down there and do things to keep things kind of straight. We have 25 different states' governors that are ready to send their National Guard members down to Texas to support Texas to make sure they're going to be okay and try to stop this flood of illegals coming across every day. In a congressional hearing yesterday, a Democrat witness was asked about, is it okay for Gavin Newsom to activate his National Guard in California to do such when he, this guy, and all the people on the left are screaming at what Texas and Governor Greg Abbott are doing down there to try to stop the flow of the illegals coming in to the United States. Listen to this. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, I have a question for Mr. Jadwat, the uh, witness uh, with the ACLU. Uh, if I'm to understand your position correctly, you're opposed to governors uh, mobilizing their National Guard to secure the border. Is that correct? Uh, I wasn't talking about the National Guard. I was talking about uh, state efforts to actually do immigration enforcement. I see. So uh, I have a press release here from September of 2023. It says, Governor Newsom increases California National Guard presence at the border to crack down on fentanyl smugglers. Would you, take that, would you say that action by Governor Newsom is appropriate and with the bound, within the bounds of his authority? It, it might be. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no familiarity with what is referenced in that article. Uh, the press release again, it says, Governor Newsom increases California National Guard presence at the border. Cracking down on illegal drugs, including fentanyl, being smuggled into California, Governor Newsom is increasing the number of California National Guard service members deployed to interdict drugs at U.S. ports of entry along the border by approximately 50%. Governor Newsom said fentanyl is a deadly poison, ripping families apart and communities apart. California is cracking down, he said, and today we're going further by deploying more Cal Guard service members to combat this crisis and keep our communities safe. So uh, the governor saw uh, a public safety issue uh, arising from the situation at the border and mobilized the National Guard to try to keep our communities safe. Would you say that was appropriate by the governor? It probably would, and I, I would point out that, you know, what we're talking about there, fentanyl, at the ports of entry, you know, that's where the fentanyl is, and that's where the focus ought to be to the extent that that's Okay, but you're making a policy judgment as to what's the, the greatest, the most effective thing to do. No, I'm, I'm asking mean, him about I'm, his I'm pointing out that, that as a Does factual matter, as a factual matter, um, you know, CBP, uh, the Cato Institute, everyone who's looked at the question agrees that overnight approximately 90% of the fentanyl that's going to... Okay, but again, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking about his authority. Do you agree he had the authority to do that? I, again, I don't know the details of that, but it sounds like what was happening was that he was deploying the National Guard either in cooperation with the federal government to assist them at POEs, which, you know, sounds like a reasonable thing to do. So we have the uh, uh, former Attorney General of Arizona, first Attorney General of Texas here. Uh, would you say that in some sense, uh, your governors, either at the time or now, uh, were simply following the Newsom precedent that he saw a public safety risk arising from the border and so made use of California resources to assist? Well, Texas would never follow California precedent. <laughs> uh, Fair enough. But we, the, the, it's the similar strategy. Yeah, um, yes, clearly, 
states, even states like California, want to do everything they can to protect the citizens within their estates. And that means at times they will deploy the National Guard. It means at times they will deploy Department of Public Safety or state police officers. Uh, because I think even the state of California recognizes that there is an unprecedented amount of illegal drugs, of illegal human trafficking coming into our country. And because of that, the cartels have seized operational control of our southern border. And as a result of that, every American is less safe and every child is uh, more in danger of dying of a drug overdose. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Jadwat, you also testified that states do not have the authority to take immigration matters into their own hands. You said the Constitution prohibits state regulation of immigration. You said that entry, exclusion, and deportation are exclusively federal matters. Federal officials, you said, decide whether it, uh, whether it makes sense to pursue removal uh, at all. Uh, would the same logic apply to states or other jurisdictions that have adopted uh, so-called sanctuary policies? where they actively interfere with federal immigration enforcement. Can we assume, based on your testimony, that you oppose those efforts as well? I don't think you should assume that, because I think what so-called sanctuary policies are generally about is states opting out of federal enforcement. And that's an authority that states have under the 10th Amendment that protects states against commandeering by the federal government. So, for example, if the federal government said to Texas, we want you to take your land and your personnel and build a processing center on the border, Texas could say, no thank you. And that's what states and cities are doing with their sanctuary laws. No thank you. We're not going to use our police. Okay, but that's different. Facilities. Under sanctuary policies, uh, for example, in California, we had someone who was arrested, was in custody. Uh, ICE asked uh, for, to know when he was going to be released. And the sheriff's office said, we can't tell you because of the sanctuary state law. That individual was released the next week. He killed his own three daughters uh, and their chaperone. Uh, so that seems like it's pretty actively interfering with the federal decision to pursue removal in this proceeding, does it not? And so by the very terms of your testimony, uh, that is something that would be unlawful as well. It, I mean, again, it sounds like from what you said that the federal government asked the police to do something and they said no, or the sheriff to do something and they said no. Taking the decision out of the hands of the federal and immigration authorities, And that's, again, the, the anti-commandeering principle that was elucidated by the Supreme Court in Prince versus United States, which was about sheriffs not doing the federal government's bidding in enforcing gun, gun regulations. It's the same principle that applies here. Thank you. My time has expired. I yield back. Thank you, gentlemen. Did you get the gist of that? So it's okay for Gavin Newsom to take California's National Guard and get them to go to the southern border to make sure everything's okay. And then he sent the National Guard up to San Francisco because they had such a horrible problem there, far more than any other places in California with fentanyl poisoning and death. He sent the National Guard up there. Now, what's the difference? What's the difference just the line across the bottom of the state, the southern border, shouldn't be the difference between one being okay and the other not being okay. And, of course, all of this applies to the federal government's conundrum that they have with Texas about Texas Governor Greg Abbott wanting to keep the people of Texas safe from these illegals that are flooding the southern border. And they, because the federal government won't do anything down there, they said, we've had enough. We can't let this happen. They have 
hundreds of thousands of felony acts, criminal acts committed against Texans through the years. It's all record. It's all out there. Anybody can go look at the Texas Department of Public Safety and get the the uh, data. It's online. I get it there and update it every once in a while. We're down around maybe half a million of such things happen to Texas residents at the hands of illegal immigrants. You don't hear that being talked about on places like MSNBC or CNN. Nobody wants to address that. Why? Because that's not a national issue. It's a Texas issue. Okay. What governor in America of any state would just look at that happening to the citizens in their state and not do anything about it and not try to stop it? That's why the 10th Amendment is the 10th Amendment to the Constitution. When the federal government doesn't act and conduct its constitutional duties, the state that's impacted always has supernal white right over the protection of that state and its citizens. That's the constitutional word. And yet we go back and forth through this stupidity, gibberish, coming out of the Biden administration. Wah, wah. Well, the Constitution gives us total authority over illegal immigration. And we want all these illegals to come here illegally. And so no state can get in our way. That's the way it's been viewed for years, but it's not now. And it's going to get worse. You heard that a little bit from that hearing. Can you imagine how much time is wasted when we have to have these committee hearings to try to get these people on record for the public to hear and see? Do you know how exhausting it is for people like us here at Truth News Network to sit and watch and listen to stuff like you just heard and think about that happening by multiplication of, I don't know, 20 times, 30, 40, 50 times a day across Congress and its operations? Why doesn't Congress... Both sides, House and Senate, why don't they just concentrate on what's best for the American people, getting proposals in place for everything, debate them, amend them, debate them some more, vote on them, use regular order, which is what I just explained to you, described to you, and get the stuff that's necessary passed and implemented for the American people. And quit thinking about what's in it for you and how can you advantage your campaign contributors, give them an inside for no other reason other than they gave you a bunch of money. All of that stuff goes on. It's ancillary. It crowds the whole concept, and it takes us right back here where we are today. Let me give you another Joe Biden example of pontification. You're not going to believe this, what Joe Biden has done. Without any kind of congressional action, the Biden administration has classified 
some of the nation's most elite and exclusive localities as low-income areas. Low-income areas. Now, why would he do that? And who are we talking about here? Oh, Martha's Vineyard being one of them. If they do that, if these localities are declared and labeled by the federal government as low-income areas, that makes them eligible for electric vehicle chargers. It's a subsidy program. The Biden administration's EV charger tax credit program that was made possible by the Inflation Reduction Act is specifically designed to route subsidies to low-income or non-urban, non-city areas of the country. So the low-income emphasis for eligibility, that aligns in spirit with the Biden administration's wider pursuit of his so-called environmental justice. Oh, there's that word. And who defines what is environmental justice? Joe Biden. It's effectively the combination of social justice ideology and green new energy policy. A number of the elite hangouts and localities, Montauk, Fishers Island in New York, parts of Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket in Massachusetts, are among the areas that this administration has classified as low income. And that makes them eligible for receipt of EV charger subsidies. Quietly happening behind the scenes. So building out a nationwide charging network, that's a key supporting plank of the Biden administration's EV agenda, which is falling flat on its face and lots of Americans with it. But the charging infrastructure that we have currently is concentrated, obviously, in wealthier, more densely populated coastal regions of the country. Why is that? Because that's where the wealthy people live, most of them percentage-wise anyway, that can afford these stupid electric vehicles. Joe's tax credit program is designed to blunt the cost of charger construction, specifically in non-city less wealthy parts of the country that would be less likely to install them themselves because of money. This tax credit provides up to 30% off the cost of the charger to those individuals and businesses in these low-income areas, making it more affordable to install those EV charging infrastructure systems and increasing access to EV charging in what they call underserved communities. (laughs) So how do you meet the low-income definition? Well, a given census tract must have a poverty rate of 20% or more. Alternatively, an area can qualify if the median family income is below 80% of the median family income in the wider metropolitan area or in its state if a given census tract is not part of any specific metropolitan area. In practice, the second definition for a low-income area, that enables places that may not be considered low-income to qualify for the credit. How? 
by virtue of being located in a wealthy state or metropolitan area. Example, let's talk about Nantucket Island. You know anything about it? It's a really cool place, by the way. Nearly half of the landmass of Nantucket Island, which is one of the ritziest summer vacation places that are favored by New England's elite, it is eligible for EV charger subsidies, according to the Department of Energy's interactive eligibility map. The Vineyard Haven area of Martha's Vineyard, that's another destination frequented by New England's upper crust, is also eligible for the same reason. For context, many of the homes in these covered areas are valued at well over a million bucks, several properties valued between two million and five million. By the way, Barack's massive 11.7 million estate is on that island. 11.7 million. Large pockets of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. That's another pricey locale. They're eligible for low-income EV subsidies. That includes Hyannis, the longtime home base of the Kennedy dynasty, and Great Island, which features numerous multi-million dollar properties. The entirety of Fishers Island, New York. It's been labeled a low-income area, eligible for subsidies. The island is an exclusive, um, let's call it an enclave, where generations of old money families get together to sail and golf. Historically, dynastic American families like the Roosevelts, Rockefellers, DuPonts, they've gone to Fishers Island to vacation. A big portion of Montauk, a quaint and pricey Long Island vacation spot frequented by who? New York City metropolitan areas well to do. It's also eligible through 2029 for low-income EV charger subsidies. Some of the property valuations in the low-income zone of Montauk are exorbitant. Indeed, one home is valued at $17 million on Zillow. Zillow values another home in the area at just under $10 million, another more than $6 million. Numerous other homes with valuations well above $2 million are also in the area eligible for these charging subsidies. Listen to this. In the Big Apple, New York City, a three, one three-block zone in the upscale Upper East Side area. It's eligible as part of this as low-income zone, as is a 28-block region near Times Square. <laughs> Times Square is right smack dab in the middle of Manhattan. A pocket of Hoboth Beach, Delaware. Uh Uh-oh, we know who lives there. Spends a lot of time there anyway. A whole lot of time. He's supposed to be at the White House working, but he's in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, a bunch. That's Joe Biden. One pocket of it that is just a few miles from Biden's summer resident, it's eligible for these subsidies. Why? A low-income zone. Houses there, $2 million, $4 million, another one over $6 million. And even out west, there's some of them. I'm not going to go into any more of that, but don't you get the gist? It's authoritarian rule, folks. The guy who's in the White House, according to Democrats, has sole authority over pretty much everything, and they're rolling these things out. They're not pointing them to us when they roll them out. They're not. 
Why? Because they don't want us to know. They want us to believe it's okay for them to do whatever they want to do and we have no say-so. And if you disagree with them, what will they do? The Department of Justice will come after you like they're coming after Steve Baker for exercising his First Amendment rights on January 6th. And as a journalist, he's exposing the lies, the wrongdoing of people in the Biden administration, the Capitol Police, and even members of Congress that colluded to lie to the American people. Those people are green-lighted to do all that crap. And it doesn't matter if it's justified, if it's legal or not, or even if it's something that should be done, according to those on the left. It doesn't matter. If they're not in charge of it, it's wicked, it's evil, and it's got to stop. But anything they want to do, oh, the only thing necessary is a nod from the Oval Office and a wink from Joe Biden says, you can do anything you want to. Just keep writing those big campaign checks. So, Miss Harris, what makes you think you're a good fit with us here at Schmidt, Starks, and Soprensky? Oh, sir, there are so many reasons. I specialized in research and theoretical studies for several years at the Southampton Institute, Mm -hmm. preceded by intensive graduate studies at Syracuse. (laughs) Certainly, my skills are well-suited for a position here at Schmidt, Starks, and... Soprensky? Oh, thanks. A job interview and a root canal on the same day. Want to get away? Get the heck out of there with Southwest Airlines. Fly coast to coast for $99 or less by November 3rd. It was nice meeting you, sir. Yes, we'll get back to you soon. Soon. Southwest Airlines, a symbol of freedom. Call 1-800-IFLY-SWA. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's Quality Guarantee, signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. When the left seeks to impeach a president for resisting efforts to frame him... You need clarity, and you get it right here at TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. You want clarity on this whole issue? The only thing you need for complete oblivion from the rule of law is to be a Democrat and know somebody that is in the top tier of the Democrat part of the U.S. government. Then you're pretty much bulletproof. Another example, look at all the stuff that's creeping out every few weeks. Some new travesty comes out regarding members of the Biden family, the Biden family syndicate. They don't care. They've not been held accountable for any of the wrongdoing, and there have been tens of millions of wrongdoing uncovered. 
And then we could keep on going talking about that, but you know that. That's, that's wasting your time. This, um, this new thing that is just staying in the news and staying in the news because it's not resolved, this immigration reform, supposedly reform, but it's really not coming out in this hidden Senate bill. They want to pass it. They're out there and have been for two weeks on all the networks talking about the bill and what it's going to do and why we've got to have it. And nobody's seen the bill. Do they really think we're that stupid that the American people are just asleep all the time and that we never see or hear or listen to what they're doing or not doing and why? I think they really do. They don't think much of us if they think we don't care about what they're doing and not doing. So listen to this quandary. There's a group of Republican senators, Republican senators, who are lobbying for more illegal immigration to the U.S. And this is right now a fringe part of the Republicans in the Senate, but it's growing, we're hearing. What's this all about? Let me give you the skinny. Mitch McConnell, who's the Republican Senate Majority Leader, as well as his compadre Senators James Lankford, Republican from Oklahoma, John Thune, also Republican from San Diego, and Mitt Romney, everybody's favorite Republican from Utah. They are today, right now, negotiating a deal with Senate Democrats. Democrats in the Senate, guess what for? To increase legal immigration levels by 50,000 green card admissions every year. Now, when we're supposed to be finding ways to shut down the southern border and stop all of these illegals coming into the nation, being spread out all over the nation, destroying infrastructure in multiple cities, committing crimes left and right, and soaking up billions of Americans' tax dollars to take care of this mess, none of it legal, none of it approved by the United States Congress, all on the back of Joe Biden. So what would these green card things, what would that do? Well, those green cards, which are temporary legal status in the United States, um, what that is about, this 50,000 extra would go to foreign nationals solely because of their ties to family members already here. While the rest would help businesses, this is the big one, businesses need help, big business needs help to import more foreign workers for white-collar American jobs. Stop right there and think this through with me. What happens to the white-collar Americans that already hold these jobs? Why would they want to replace American citizens with immigrants coming from other nations and giving them green cards? Why would they do that? Do you know what it is? Money, money, money. All these big corporations, they want to find people out of the country that have at least the same skills, if not better skills, than domestic people, real Americans that are sitting here doing these jobs and doing a good job. It's not about these people doing a bad job that they want to replace. It's because they can get the immigrants to work for less. It's all about money. 
Already we import more than a million illegals every year. I told you that. On green cards, 70% of whom arrive through the process known as chain migration, where newly naturalized citizens have the right legally to sponsor an unlimited number of foreign relatives for green cards. Likely Republican voters, though, have told the pollsters for decades that they want legally immigration levels reduced, not increased. But what the heck do the pollsters say? They're not paid by these big Democrat operations. And maybe now Republican operations, what we're talking about now is we have Senate Republicans who are screaming for this. The latest Rasmussen report shows that 65% of Republican voters want current legal immigration cut down to at least 750,000 a year from the 1 million we're experiencing now. Half of those Republican voters said they want to see levels reduced by more than half. Also, 72% of Republican voters say they oppose chain migration of any kind at more than 6 in 10. 60% of these Republican voters said the U.S. labor market does not need any more foreign workers to fill American jobs. And we had the famous words being said by the round man in Congress. What's his name? I can't think of it. The round fat man that's from Congress from New York. He said in a hearing a couple of weeks ago, it made all the news, all the news. He said, we've got to have more legals illegals here legally giving them green cards because they they're the ones that got to pick all the vegetables and fruit do you think we need a million people for that <laughs> and they would if even if that was the case they would replace somebody in America that are American that are doing it and some of those people that would be replaced are legal immigrants who came here they came through the process and did it the right way The Census Bureau suggests that immigration is driving nearly all the U.S. population growth and that if legal immigration is not reduced, the population will hit an unprecedented 400 million by 2060. I don't think I'm going to be around for that. I just thought I'd throw that in. (laughs) Most Republican voters, 51%, said immigration-driven population growth should be slowed. 26% say the U.S. should stop immigration-driven population growth immediately. That all makes sense to me. Have you heard anything about Stacey Abrams? You remember Stacey. She's the one that ran for governor over in Georgia She got beat by the current governor of Georgia, and she screamed. And because she's African-American, she got every leftist news network was putting her on front and center. They were pushing her to go to Washington, D.C., and even be considered for a vice president's job when Joe Biden and the Democrats picked Kamala Harris. She never has yet said she lost the Georgia election and it was a legal election. Now, wait a minute. Election deniers. She's Democrat. She's African-American. It's okay for her to say, maybe there was something funny up in that election. 
But if anybody that's of the other color and of the other party, or maybe not even of any party, that says, hey, something smells here in the election process, you're immediately labeled. You're an election denier. We'll put you over there with those MAGA extremists that are all in the tank for Donald Trump. Anyway, Stacy has been out. She's got her own nonprofit, and it is imploding, her nonprofit. Why? She shelled out millions of dollars that were donations to her to her nonprofit. And what have the millions been for? Election fights. Failed election fights. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Fair Fight, that's a group that she founded to combat alleged voter suppression, not cheating, but suppression, she calls, in Georgia, is laying off 75% of its staff and significantly narrowing what it does in operations. The organization holds 2.5 million in debt, but only has 1.9 million in cash. Selena Jagetti, chair of the organization's board, said that it faces a serious funding deficit that makes our current trajectory unsustainable. But finances have not always been an issue for Abrams' nonprofit. Fair Fight raised more than $100 million during its first three years of operations, according to uh, AJC. Fair Fight Action, Fair Fight's political arm, even aired an ad during the 2019 Super Bowl promoting Stacey Abrams. That's pretty darn expensive. I promise you. And the NFL, I promise you, didn't give her a break either. Things appear to have begun going downhill for Abrams' nonprofit after the 2020 election. Fair fight action. They had more than $21 million in net assets at the end of 2020. That's according to tax filings. That figure dropped to about $3.4 million in 2021 and again to just over $1.5 million in 2022, tax documents show. More recently, a court ordered Fair Fight Action to pay about a quarter of a million dollars in legal fees after it lost a years-long case alleging voter suppression in Georgia. In addition to compensating Georgia for its allegations, Fair Fight Action spent more than 25 mil on legal expenses between 21 and 22. Again, that's according to tax forms. Much of the money raised by Fair Fight directly benefited Stacey Abrams and others that are, quote, close to her. Shocking. I can't imagine that. Of the millions that Abrams nonprofit spent on legal fees between 21 and 22, more than $9.4 million went to Lawrence and Bundy. That's a law firm where Abrams' former campaign chair, Allegra Lawrence Hardy is a partner. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. Almost $10 million going for whatever to a buddy of hers. Disclosures also show that Fair Fight donated one and a half mil to a pro-Abrams political committee 
and that the nonprofit dedicated $2 million worth of staff time to assisting Abrams during her second run for governor. So one ethics watchdog had previously filed an IRS complaint that alleged that fair fight action violated federal law by focusing on promoting Abrams' political career instead of its stated mission. You know, they're going to protect voting rights for everybody in Georgia, right? We will adapt to this new phase of the fight for democracy by restructuring the organization to focus on how we serve Georgia and American voters for the 2024 cycle and beyond. That's from her attorney, Jagetti. Fair fight. They're hiding. They're not talking, and I can understand it. I'm sure you can, too. Do you know anything about In-N-Out Burgers? In-N-Out. It's I-N-A-B-I-G-N-Out. In-N-Out. I must tell you, it's one of my favorite hamburgers and french fries combined that I've ever had. When I go out west, they're predominantly out west. You can find them now in some of the big cities coming back this way. Dallas-Fort Worth has several now. And they're rage. People just love them. Well, California's, it started out there. It's called California's beloved burger chain. It fell short in a poll ranking the most popular United States food chains. And they lost to a, I think mildly, I can say, unexpected rival. In and out is a famous eatery which started on the West Coast, has yet to make it east, but it's coming to the South. It's been here for a while, despite pleas coming for East Coast locations. It's famous for its secret menu featuring animal-style versions of the classic three-option menu. The fast food restaurant didn't prove to be as popular as it might seem in a poll that just was completed by YouGov. The poll ranked the most popular dining brands in the fourth quarter of 2023. Results? Shocking. While the iconic California food chain, In-N-Out, didn't end up anywhere near the top of the rankings, another California-born fast food company came in first for being the most popular. Hmm. I'm looking at a map right now, and there is a note on the map that says In-N-Out is coming in 2026 to Tennessee. But if you look at the other place, let me look at these and, and tell you what's there. Idaho, Oregon, California, Nevada, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, and Nebraska. Those are the only places that have it. But we did tell you, coming in 2026 to Tennessee. The U.S. food chain that took the top spot was Baskin-Robbins, of all things. I don't even think Baskin-Robbins, I don't even think of it as a restaurant. I think of it only as an ice cream shop. Baskin-Robbins was founded in 1945, also in California, in Glendale, 
by a couple of brother-in-laws, Bert Baskin and Irv Robbins. That's how we got the name. Baskin and Robbins. Originally known as Burton's Ice Cream Shop, this 79-year-old cream parlor is famous for, you hear it all the time, you still do, 31 flavors. That's their slogan, which goes along with the idea that a customer can have a different flavor every single day of the month. Baskin-Robbins now has a flavor library of at least 1,400 options. When I saw this, I wanted to know, what are are the best parts, the big ones in this? Top five, vanilla, chocolate, mint chocolate chip, pralines and cream, and chocolate chip. Every one of those I just read to you, I could eat and I love. I think my very fa- my very favorite ice cream is just plain old vanilla. You know why? You can put all kind of stuff over it. But I'm even more simple than that. Marianne will confirm. I love vanilla ice cream with chocolate syrup. That's my thing. And maybe it's because I'm 70. I don't know. But I do like mint chocolate chip. Chocolate is my favorite food luxury. Oh my gosh, there's just something about milk chocolate. And by the way, in chocolate, milk chocolate is my favorite. I'm not crazy about some of the darker stuff and some of the way out stuff. Baskin Robbins gave the American public what they wanted in 2014. They began offering its iconic, creative, and classic favorites for sale in supermarkets, and that's when it took off again. They have 7,700 stores worldwide in at least 52 countries and 411 locations in California alone. Meanwhile, California's other iconic fast food joint, In-N-Out Burger, which took 61st place in the poll, was founded in 1948 in Baldwin Park, California by Harry Snyder. In-N-Out now has stores, I told them to you, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, Texas, Oregon, Colorado, and Idaho. Current owner is Lindsay Snyder, who is the only grandchild of Harry, the original creator. In-N-Out chose not to franchise. That may be part of the problem for them not having those great numbers. But listen, let me just point out, if you're looking, if you're out of town especially, well, now you'd probably have to. We've got a lot of our audience that aren't from out west and in the southwest. If you go west, I let me let me give you an example. We used to own an arena football team, and we had a, a, a foe that we played every year in Salt Lake City, Utah. The last time we played in Salt Lake City and went there, Marianne and I, after the game, we wanted to go to In-N-Out. I mean, after all, we're out there, and they have In-N-Out's all over Utah. So we said, let's let's go find a burger. The closest, we were in downtown Salt Lake City where we were staying. The closest was 26 miles away in a suburb. This is late night, Saturday night after a football game. It ended at about, oh, I don't know, 9.30. And then we had all the post-game stuff that we did. We went 26 miles away from where we were staying late Saturday night to go to In-N-Out to eat a burger. I've talked too long about it. 
<laughs> but I'm going to tell you, it is really good. And the fact that it's so limited to be able to find it makes it even more important. When you go west, go to in and out 10 to the 10 to the 10 to the 10. 10 to the 10 to the 10 to the 10 10. Planet Fitness, through the use of motivating montage music, has made it easy to join. Just remember 10 10 10. For 10 days, sign up for $10 and pay just 10 bucks a month after that. Hurry, you only have until November 10th to take advantage of this Planet Fitness offer. Planet Fitness on 42nd Street next to Shopco. New home ownership can be a real eye opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from the Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. Oh, it's a puppy. Not a puppy. A wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother. Put the wolf down. You guys good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're good. Yep. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive. No drama. This is your home. This is your family room slash gym. The guest bedroom slash music studio. The day bed slash dog bed. The living room slash yoga shanti slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. And this is the basement slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. remember that big thing that happened out in Beverly Hills? I mean, years ago. I think it was probably two or three years ago. The FBI went into a private, um, it's a place where they keep the uh, lock boxes, you know, not in banks, but it's similar to them, but it's, but it's private. They're all over the nation. Private does the same thing as the ones that are in the banks. But anyway, the FBI went into one place that had those things in mass, a big operation, and they took tons of stuff out of the boxes there. And of course, they did it in the name of the law because they were investigated some alleged wrongdoers. Here are the facts. In doing what they did, the FBI violated private citizens' constitutional rights excuse me, because they seized the contents from hundreds of those safety deposit box in a raid in Beverly Hills in 2021. The reason they went, the business itself was suspected of money laundering. Well, the FBI violating private citizens' constitutional rights was determined to be factual by a federal appeals court last week. This was a big victory, not just for clients of that place, 
but for the hundreds of people who've been stuck in a nightmare for years because of what they did. Senior attorney Rob Frommer, who represented several of those plaintiffs in the t- in the in this case, gave the facts. The U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals found that the FBI violated U.S. Private Vault's boxholder's Fourth Amendment rights that is against, remember this one, unreasonable searches and seizures by opening and cataloging the contents of 1,400 of those safety deposit boxes without individual criminal warrants for each one. That is a constitutional violation. The January 23 ruling reversed a 2022 lower court decision that sided with the FBI and requires federal officials to destroy any inventory records of the hundreds of box holders not charged with a crime. Now listen to this. This will frost you. FBI agents took about $86 million in cash from the boxes in the March 2021 raid as well as a treasure trove of jewelry, gold bars and coins, silver, and other valuables. In May of that year, the FBI commenced administrative forfeiture proceedings against an unspecified number of the boxes. This is according to court documents. Civil asset forfeiture, that's the process through which government can seize money or other property that's believed to be linked to a crime, even if the owner is never charged with a crime. Now, doesn't that sound like it should not be allowed in the United States of America, not charged with a crime? Why can they take your stuff? The FBI's raid on U.S. private vaults was part of its investigation on the company which ultimately shut down, they pled guilty to conspiracy to launder drug money. The government argued, yeah, that $86 million in cash, come on now, (laughs) in safety deposit. I can understand, you know, maybe even 100,000 being put there to hide it from your spouse for a while. I'm just saying, Marianne, I don't have $100,000. She knows that. The government argued before the Ninth Circuit that its warrant authorized the FBI to seize those deposit boxes and inventory their contents in accordance with their standardized policy. But unsealed court documents show neither the FBI nor the U.S. Attorney's Office told the judge in their warrant that agents planned to confiscate the contents of every box that contained at least $5,000 in cash or belongings. Sounds a little bit like, you know, the FISA court violations that happened when they went after Donald Trump. Remember? This warrant in California only authorized authorities to seize business computers, money counters, and surveillance equipment. The judge also told them it's okay to seize safety deposit boxes and keys, but specifically wrote that agents should only inspect the contents of the boxes in an effort to identify their owners so that they can claim their property and that the warrant does not authorize a criminal search or seizure of the contents of any of the safety deposit boxes. This is incredible. And I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you the rest of this, but I'm going to tell you what this struck in me. In its decision, 
The Ninth Circuit panel wrote this. The government had gone beyond the scope of its warrant, violated its own rules when they took inventory of property that wasn't the subject of a warrant. The circuit judge, I won't even tell you who it was, doesn't matter, wrote that it was particularly troubling that the government couldn't explain the limitations to these types of inventory searches and questioned how they differed from the limitless searches of an individual's personal belongings like those seen in colonial American. It was those very abuses of power, after all, that led to the adoption of the Fourth Amendment and in the first place. Jeannie Pearsons, one of the plaintiffs in the class action suit, said the win was incredibly gratifying. Here these judges just knocked them down a peg and talked through the situation. This extraordinary overreach and an actual breaking of civil rights, it was just really, really gratifying. Pearsons and her husband, Michael Stork, they had a paltry $20,000 in silver and $2,000 in cash seized from their rented security deposit box during that raid. She teamed up with the Institute for Justice to fight for her property, and ultimately she got it, but said she found the FBI had lost the $2,000 when she went to reclaim it. Yeah, right. Lost it. Yeah, it just walked off. We saw it last night, and then the next morning it wasn't there. It must have walked out of the building. We didn't have the doors locked. Pearson said, I do think that the FBI is watching this case, and I hope that if they do continue with civil forfeiture processes, that they put structure in place so it's transparent and that it's not just a free-for-all which is what this seems to be. But Fromer said while this ruling helped expose the government's attempt to steal innocent people's things, he doesn't think it will end civil forfeiture abuse. I think this ruling on its own is important, but it won't stop the FBI's grasping hand. Yeah, they got their hand slapped just now, but unless there's real consequences, they'll just view this as a dry run for the next time. And of course, the FBI won't talk about it, won't say anything about it. But they did say the prosecutor's office was prepared to destroy records of the inventory search, which is, anyway, the relief that was sought by the plaintiff's case. Yeah, they're going to throw it all away after they copy it all. The FBI, my friends, I don't trust them. I don't anymore. Used to be, no doubt about it, the best, the premier law enforcement agency in the world. But I think they have forfeited the right to be called that any longer. I won't do it. I'm not going to do it. Corinne Jean-Pierre has a big fan in the media now. Megan Kelly. Well, Megan... Last night, she went after KJP. I don't think Corrine is her favorite anymore. Corrine Jean-Pierre goes on the Today yeah. Show to talk about it. I mean, this is the number one. So if you are the White House, this is number one. So she goes on MSNBC. She knows this question is going to be coming. My God. And listen to her. 
What I will say, our deepest, uh, obviously our deepest condolences uh, go out and our heartfelt condolences go out to the families uh, who lost uh, three, three brave uh, three brave, uh, three brave of uh, three folks who are, who are military folks who are brave, who are always fighting, who are fighting on behalf and of uh, this administration of the American people. Obviously, more so, more importantly, she doesn't know what she's saying. Three folks, three folks. It's disrespectful. The lack of preparation is disrespectful. She clearly doesn't understand the news that she's been appointed to speak about. She's the White House spokesperson, and she is not a bright person. Three folks, three folks, three, uh, three, uh, 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 three folks were killed. Now, she's African-American, Karine Jean-Pierre. All three of these that were killed are, too. You would think that she would be more attuned to giving honest feelings for fellow African-Americans. I don't know what it is. Is that the best the White House can find? Corinne Jean-Pierre? On another note, Ronna McDaniel, the Republican National Committee chair, announced yesterday the Republican National Convention, uh, Committee, they got $12 million in fundraising halls in the month of January. $12 million. You know, I don't know how that compares with the Democrats. I don't know how it compares with everybody else, but that's a lot of money. Now, that is just the money that the National Committee pulled together. That that has nothing to do with what the candidates have pulled together. But let me say this. There's no doubt between now and November, there will be billions put together for that campaign and that election. Hey, guys, that's a wrap for the show today. Thanks for being here. We're trying to get, I'm I'm teasing this, we're trying to get a special guest in here for tomorrow, somebody that you know about, you probably have not seen or heard on many other shows and hasn't ever been on this show. We're trying to get it worked out for tomorrow, Thursday. So check us out tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., 11 a.m. We get off the air every Monday through Friday. Once again, thanks for being here. Keep your eyes tuned to what's going on around you, especially with our government. It's very seldom good. <laughs> that should never surprise us, right? See you tomorrow. Don't be